Welcome back to Talking Baseball. We have a fun Monday interview for you. May the 4th be with you. It's Sean Doolittle. What's going on, everybody? Welcome back to Talking Baseball. We hope you had a fantastic weekend. Myself, Jimmy, Trev, Jake, BBD, we are all here. And we are excited because we had a very nice and long chat with World Series winner. Sean Doolittle was kind enough to give us a lot of his time to discuss all things baseball. Did you guys enjoy this one? Jake? I did enjoy it. I did enjoy it. It was, uh, you know, it started off heavy. More, I guess it was more heavy baseball than I thought. I thought we were kind of going to get off the rails with Sean because he's kind of a fan slash he's seen what we were doing, so he kind of knows what we're about. Uh, the baseball stuff was incredible, though. Um, I mean, everything from, you know, the that 2019 Nats team to his coming up to, you know, like how he thinks was really good. And then – as always, we got off the rails a little bit, but uh, yeah, man, cool, cool dude. Trev, you played with him before in, in Oakland for a little bit, right? I did. I got to know him in 2017, and he's just like, um, I love it. He's smart. He's calculated. Like he's a guy that really understands himself and like kind of like what he does, and he just has really settled into like being himself, and I love that. Yeah. He's and really I, just like coming to his own. He mentions that a little bit towards the end, but um, just a good dude. Just a really good dude and a really good pitcher. If you're a Nationals fan, get excited because uh, some of the stories he told about the conga lines and the dancing and the team chemistry are like porn for a fan that team just Everything won the World Series want. and you just want to hear about the culture and relive it more. Uh, strap in. I won't make you wait any longer. Here he is. We are joined by 2008 Arizona Fall League Rising Star Sean Doolittle. Sean Doodoo, how you doing, brother? <laughs> <laughs> Do you glory. get that a lot? Uh, glory days, baby. Yeah, people, you would you would be surprised, man. People don't forget. <laughs> and that was that was back in your your swinging day so i i i didn't know if that was going to be are those are those fun memories at this point where where are those memories at fall league um was one of the most fun times of of my baseball career uh i had a blast playing in a fall league uh we we won it in 2008 there were some really good guys on that team um so uh I, I look back on, on that time as a hitter very, very fondly. Did you get hurt? I mean, because I know it was, it was knee injuries, right, that derailed the swinging days. Did they co- Don't injuries. people call the Arizona Fall League the Arizona Get Hurt League? Oh, I don't, don't know. Do they call it that? <laughs> I, I think I've heard that before. Oh, I haven't heard it. I mean, I haven't really I guess, heard that either. I, I don't know. Um, but... It, Ultimately, that was 2008. Um, I, I tore up my knee in um, May of 2009. Uh, I ended up having two knee surgeries, and um, I tore up, I tore a tendon in my wrist in um, May of 2011, and that was the final straw uh, that led to me switching to pitching. 
So it was a long and um, it was definitely the scenic route to the big leagues. Yeah, but I mean, you're Jake's favorite thing because Jake always says that, you know, we have these two-way players coming up, but for 50 years, we just didn't allow anyone to even attempt it. So like if you <laughs> if you didn't get hurt, well, if you didn't get hurt, do you think you could have d- gone two-way? Oh my gosh, I don't, I don't know. You could have. You raked in the minor leagues. Like, <laughs> I don't. I college. Um, I did the two way thing in college. I I pitched on Friday and played first base on uh, the rest of the weekend and a DH during the week. So um, I, I could do it, um, but I, I don't know the the toll that it takes on your body. Obviously, my body wasn't built to wasn't going to be able to handle that. And people ask a lot if if I miss playing a position and being a hitter. And um, to be honest, I don't um, because um, just the grind uh, uh, that it takes on your body of playing every single day, relieving relief pitching is its own grind, but like playing every single day, the mental ups and downs of being a hitter. I don't miss that at all. Yeah. I, I think mean, you have the best job in, in the big leagues. Like uh, being a closer, a guy who comes and shuts down games, it's like, when do you get that, um, I don't know, that feeling and that adrenaline, like of coming yeah. in and, and ending the game. But you also have like such a cool schedule. Like you get to kind of be on your own team, <laughs> man. Like, you know. I do love, I do love the schedule. Um, and I try to take advantage of, of having some service time now where, you know, you don't go down to the bullpen until the, the fourth or fifth inning. Uh, you, you know, you can spend the beginning part of the game in the, in the clubhouse or, and uh, I spend it mostly in the weight room and the training room doing like an active warm up and getting ready to go and watching the first few innings of the game on TV and there. And um, you know, it, there is something cool and sexy about having that closer title attached to you. Like, um, and, uh, like you said, the adrenaline rush of coming into a game in the ninth inning is, um, man, you just thrive on it. Once you get like a taste of that, you just, and it's, it's, uh, it's a little bit crazy. It's a little bit nerve wracking. It's exciting. Um, obviously the down part is, is there's some nights where it doesn't go your way. Mm-hmm. Um, even if you make your pitches, right? Like these guys are really good. They get paid a lot of money to hit. Um, but like, sometimes you'll execute your game plan, um, just how you wanted to. And a broken bat hit falls or a ground ball sneaks through the infield or something happens that's way outside your control. And at the end of the game, you're standing in front of your locker having to talk to the media because you got the blown save and, and the loss. And then other nights you just get absolutely shelled. And, you know, that that happens, that happens. But um, it, it's it, there's something about coming in at the end of the game and, and you know, kind of looking around at, at the guys that are playing defense behind you. And, um, you know, they're all looking to you to nail this thing down and close it out. They've been grinding for three hours. You know, they're – they're feeling a little tired and uh, they're looking at you like, all right, get us over this hump. Let's do this thing. And uh, you know, get ready to start high-fiving on the mound. And um, so it's, um, it's kind of, I, I love it. I think mentally I, I, I was kind of, this was what I was supposed to be doing all along. I feel like relieving 
fits my personality a little bit better. And um, so it, it all worked out in the end. That's uh that sentiment is Mariano Rivera used to say that as well. Like, you know, the pressure was on from like the infielders, like, and the catcher, like, Hey, we've been doing this for three hours, like get these three <laughs> outs. And I always yeah. thought that was interesting. Cause I never thought about it from that perspective. Like he's like, the team wants to just go shower. I I'm right. supposed to get them into the showers and easily. It's like, it's weird because you come in and the closers have all the fanfare. Like it's the happiest the stadium is going to be when the closer runs out. Oh, but then it's, yeah. just hanging no, on a, it's just hanging on a thread real quickly. If it's so out. over the top, like most closers, like they take the, you know, the intro on the video board gets taken to the next level. I'm riding in on a bullpen cart, mm-hmm. you know, I'm like, <laughs> I'm milking it and, and uh, you know, trying to take it for all it's worth. And, uh, but you're right. Like they, uh, and, and I, I didn't know that he said that. Um, but I, that's always something that I've thought about. Um, and, and, and I'm, I, as a, as a pitcher, as a closer, I, in, I interact with the, with the infielders, like, um, you know, throwing the ball around after, um, an out or, um, before the inning starts, like I'll talk to the guys. Um, it keeps me loose. Um, but I also want to kind of connect with them and kind of see where they're at. And it helps me really like find the energy and the flow of the game, like right away. Um, so, you know, a lot of times the, the ball gets thrown around in the third base. I had a lot of conversations with Rendon, just like in the middle of a, of an inning last year and, um, trying to figure out where the infielders might be positioned in the shift and, um, you know, I having Zim over at first, I played with Zim in college. So like we kind of have like a connection and it's been cool to be able to, to share a clubhouse with him again in the big leagues and, um, you know, having him over there, uh, he's kind of, he's so stoic. He's like a rock. He would, he would, he just kind of like calms me down just like by looking at him. He doesn't get rattled about anything. Rendon so. too. You're like looking at two guys there who are just, I got, of... I had to make sure Rendon was awake. Like I was like, <laughs> Tony, you good? Like, you know, and he, he would always throw me change-ups. He wanted me to throw, he wanted me to throw the hitter change-ups. So he would send me like subliminal messages. Maybe I don't know, but like hey, the ball, the ball would get thrown around around the infield and he would and he would make us like he would like turn it over and like flip it back <laughs> flip it back to me um that's funny but, that's great that's awesome. what what was more nerve-wracking coming in for the first your first save or the first time you tried to use the closer rules and stay longer <laughs> in the clubhouse like were you worried that the manager was going to call you out and be like wait you're okay you're you're this guy um, that, that wasn't as nerve wracking for me, um, because okay. like I, I asked Bob Melvin at the time, uh, and every player that's played for, for Bo Mel, I think, um, they have a ton of respect for him. And, um, I had a great relationship with him and, and I was just like, Hey, look, like once I started sliding into that, that role in, um, 2014, um, you know, kind of asked, like, would it be okay if I spent the first few innings in here in the weight room, um, moving around a little bit? Because in Oakland, especially, like, even in the summer months, it's chilly, like, and, and there's nowhere to hide in that bullpen. You you have a little, you know, wooden roof, and you're sitting on the field, and um, there's a there's a space heater down there to, to try to keep you warm, but 
um, it, it gets chilly. Like even in July and August, you need a sweatshirt and a jacket. And, and, um, so I, I just communicated with him because I didn't want, I didn't want him to like wonder where I was or, uh, think like I was, you know, getting a little too big for my britches. So, um, I asked, I, I asked him and made sure that I kind of had permission for that. Uh, but my first save, um, was super nerve wracking, um, uh, because it was against the Yankees, my rookie year and, um, Balfour, who was our closer was down that day. I believe he'd worked, um, probably three days in a row. Um, uh, same with Ryan Cook, man. So they came to me before the game and they were like, Hey, if it gets to, then you're going to have the ninth. And I was like, all right, I'd been in the big leagues for like a month at this point. And I was like, I was, I was just like, okay, like, I'm just happy to be here. Um, and then like the ga- and then the game starts, the game, you know, progresses and I'm, I'm watching the scoreboard following the lineups and, you know, around like the sixth or seventh inning, you start to try to envision who you might have in that ninth inning. If things kind of stay the same. So you're, you're like, all right, I might, I'm going to probably face this chunk of the lineup and, you might get the at that time there was a binder in the bullpen that you that had all the scouting reporting information. Now it's an iPad, um, and I'm I like flipped it open and I was like I forget the exact order, but it was like I have it, it was here. Like, it's a crazy. It was, <laughs> it was like was it Cano, uh, A Rod, Andrew Jones, uh, A Rod, Cano, Teixeira, Andrew Jones is the four batters yeah. you faced in your first save. Yeah. At the stadium in a one-run game. It was at the Coliseum. It was at the Coliseum. Oh, it was at the Coliseum. In a, in a one-run game, a two-two-one, I believe, was the score. And I think, I think A Rod led off with a hit. Yeah, single. Um, yeah, it was this weak, broken bat, like bleeder to left. But um, and I was like, all right, if I can get in on him, maybe. All right, so maybe like I still have my good fastball. It wasn't like a solid hit. I was like, all right, I think I. I might be able to figure this out somehow. And then Cano was next. And I was like, I felt pretty good about the left on left matchup. And I was like, I got him. And then to share, I was like, he, he was like one of the guys, him and a rod, especially in that lineup just had like a presence in the box that I remember just being like, it was kind of like a welcome to the big leagues moment. Um, and I was like, gee like these guys are just next level and and i've been watching these guys on tv for the last several years and as like a fan i'm like well aware of what they're capable of doing and what their (laughs) you know careers have been like and i got now and and at some point during the to share at bat a rod stole second probably because i was super slow to the plate and still am um but and so now i'm like great i have to share with the tying run on second, this is going great. And, um, but I, I think I got him looking, which I yeah. was, I was, I was kind of like, what do you, what were you looking for? Like a fastball in like a different spot? Maybe. I don't know. <laughs> well, A-Rod took had a off ba- on him. Maybe A-Rod distracted him. Maybe. Oh, okay. That was strike three. Okay. Maybe. I don't know. But then, and then I had a long battle with Andrew Jones, um, for the final out. And I was like, you're going to have to earn every single bit of this. Like if you're going through the teeth of this order, um, the, with just these names and these guys, 
um, against the Yankees. My, my mom's side of the family are diehard Yankees fans and we've converted some of them to nationals fans after the world series, but they still, they still, they're from North Jersey. They're still very much Yankees fans at heart, I think. And, and, um, so for me, like being growing up, hearing about the Yankees and, and constantly having to be on the opposite end of the family bragging rights and stuff. I was like, it had to be this way. And, you know, Jones is battling, he's fouling off high fastball after high fastball. And I was like, I'm going to have to earn every single bit of this man, like all thousand of these home runs combined that these guys have in their (laughs) career. I'm going to have to find a a way to, to get through this. But so it was, it was extra special uh, to, to nail that one down. I mean, it's a hell of a, you know, who pitched the, on the opposing side, Trev Husey with a great game. Right. 7.2 tour and runs friend of the pot. Every once in a while he could throw a gem. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's crazy. Sean, I want to put you on the spot a little bit. Ooh, All right. Um, so traditionally so speaking, get, get ready. <laughs> traditionally speaking, um, your best reliever, best guy in the bullpen becomes your closer. He's a guy you want at the back end of the game, closing games out. Now, I think the game's turned mm-hmm. a little bit and people are starting to use their bullpens differently. And now yeah. you're kind of seeing that maybe your best reliever doesn't close out games. Maybe he's your high leverage guy. Mm-hmm. Do you do you think that's a viable option or do you think you still have to have your closer there to close out games? If you're a manager, you have this one guy who's clearly your best bullpen option. Are you going to put him in a high leverage role or are you going to put him in the back end of games? I guess that's my question. Um, I, I think that more times than not, if possible, you are going to want that guy to get the most important outs of the game. And those outs won't always be in the ninth inning. Um, so I I like the idea of moving that guy around a little bit in the last two to three innings of the game um, when possible. And I say when possible because you want to give that guy um, time enough to warm up to give him a chance to, you know, come into the game fully ready to go. So you can't spring it on him like some of these other guys in the bullpen um, matchup guys or um, mm-hmm. set of guys. Uh, sometimes they can get ready super quick. But once you've spent a little time in that closer role and you, you spend your whole day kind of knowing that you can just gradually build up and prepare mentally and physically for the, the ninth inning for the last three outs. So sometimes closers aren't able to get ready as quickly as some other guys. Mm-hmm. Um, so if you can give him a little bit of time and say, maybe, maybe the best part of the other team's lineup is coming up in the eighth inning. Maybe that's, you know, two, three, four is coming up in the eighth. Um, and maybe there's some matchups you can play in the ninth. Um, that might be an opportunity. Um, uh, situations where guys, runners get on base in the seventh or eighth inning and you can feel the game kind of hanging in the balance, right? Um, I thought a perfect example of this was uh, game one of the World Series. Um, Huddy was our closer at that point in time. Hudson had um, he was nails. Um, he was such a big reason why 
we were even in the World Series. And um, in game one, we, we took an early lead, but in the in the what sixth inning? No, seventh inning. Things start to get a little squirrely. Uh, Springer hits a homer. Uh, they start making Astros start making some noise. They, we brought Huddy in the seventh, and I thought that was uh, a, a really great move by Davey to bring in our best guy when the game the momentum was clearly starting to turn, um, and he was able to hold him off and, and keep him right there. I got I got the the glory so to speak. I got the save, um, which I was like super excited about. But like he, Huddy was still our closer, and maybe we just need to reframe that title and use a different uh, name for it, or just change the way. But being, I think sometimes you know the the biggest three outs of the game aren't always in the ninth inning, and it requires a lot of communication on the front end. Yeah. Um, with between your manager and your pitching coach, your bullpen coach, and the pitchers themselves. Um, but I think, um, and I, I worry that sometimes those situations, um, managers might be like a little bit too eager to put that reliever in maybe before he's fully loose, or maybe like you try to find that spot to bring him in in a situation in the seventh and the pitcher out there gets out of it. He, you know, he gets a double play. Well, now you just got this guy ready. He was throwing. Do you put him in, in the eighth or do you try to save him again for the ninth? Um, so like if you get him ready and he doesn't end up going in, then how do you handle it? What do you do with him then? Um, it would just take a lot of communication, but I think that that's the way that it should kind of be managed when possible. Yeah. Yeah. I love that. It's almost, it kind of comes off like common sense when you think about it now, like, Hey, they got, you know, they're, uh, three hole hitters on base and they got four five, six coming up with no outs. Do you want your best pitcher up or are you going to save him for seven, eight, nine in the ninth? It's like, well, let's use the best guy now. But it's weird that we went like 40 years without that thought process. Yeah, and sometimes like there's a mental aspect to it too. Like if if the other team is pushing and trying to turn the momentum in the eighth inning and maybe they got guys on base, they, they're within striking distance and you bring your closer in and boom, you shut them down in the eighth. There's some nights, some teams, every team's different. Every situation might be a little bit different, but there's some teams that might kind of say like, all right, well, that, that was our shot. It Tonight's not our night. And then, you know, the guy comes in for the ninth inning and it's like one, two, three. All right, well, you know, we'll get him tomorrow. Um, but we, we went all in. We pushed all our chips into the middle of the table. We had them bring in their best guy and we couldn't do it. Um, you know, and then that's kind of it for that night. Um, they had their chance and the momentum kind of swings back in the other direction to your team. So there's, there's a bunch of different aspects to it. It just, I think like people think about the way that, um, Terry Francona used Andrew Miller so effectively in Cleveland. And, um, is that sustainable over the course of a long season, um, or, or multiple seasons, uh, the way it might be during a playoff series. And the short answer is probably no. Uh, it would, it would just require so much communication and forethought up front. Um, and having, having a guy that's, um, able to get ready relatively quickly so he can be plugged into those situations on, on short notice. 
Um, not every guy, not every reliever is physically capable of doing that. Um, so it, you have to have the right personnel in the first place in order to do it. Um, but I, I think when possible, you know, looking for those spots when the game is hanging in the balance, even in the seventh and eighth inning, that is a time to, to think about bringing your best guy in. That makes a ton of sense. Like just being having a guy that's, well, first willing to do it. And then secondly, like he, like you said, he has to be a guy that's able to kind of physically get ready quickly. Yeah. Everybody's different. So, yeah, over – I love seeing it in the playoffs. But um, it's really, like you said, probably not sustainable throughout a 162-game season. Oh, we lose him. I think we might have lost a doo-doo. I, I, I love that he's saying that about – you know, I think that's the future. I don't think there's going to be defined closers as much anymore. I think that um, we'll see bullpens being broken into sections, and we already have managers with sheets that have matchups. Like we have our matchup that we want. We know which guys match up uh, better against their lineup. So let's try to let's try to put them in those situations to succeed. I think we'll end yeah. up seeing that more and more instead of just having one defined closer. It's like, let's, let's just put these guys in a position to succeed. I, I think there's a lot, uh, there's a lot more moving parts to it than we are depicting though, because we are kind of jumping into a, a new world of baseball where think of, think of the second guessing. Um, you know, if you take a reliever out and then your closer gets hit and then you've burned that guy or um, you know, say your closer comes in and does the job and then he's either worn out or if he comes in, does the job and then you send someone else in to do the knife and they can't do the job. It adds this whole other layer of second guessing where um, it, it kind of is that that fine line of, you know, someone's got to keep you in the game, but uh, you want to win. Hot take. He's back. You do want to win. I'm back, Sean? baby. I'm back, baby. What was your hot take? I missed it. No, oh, I was I was just talking out of my butt, waiting for you to come back. To be completely honest, we 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 think that that is the future. That the closer role will be less defined, and it will be more about matchups. I feel like now in such a numbers-driven game, like they want to put people, all players, not just pitchers, they want to put everyone in a position to succeed. They want where the numbers make sense to them. So I think. And you probably have a better and more informed opinion on this, but in my brain, I think like setting it up beforehand saying this guy is good against these players, this section of the lineup. So let's try to get him in against that section of lineup in this situation. So we are going to have the better probability of success. Right. And I think like having those defined seventh, eighth, ninth inning roles is kind of going to diminish you know, that's over. what I thought. That's what I thought. I thought that way too, Trev. But whenever the Yankees relievers talk about why they like the strategy that the Yankees use and stuff, is <clears throat> they say that they like when Booney and whoever will be like, "Hey, you probably have the sixth or seventh today, so they can spend the oh, yeah. whole game getting ready." So, like, if you're gonna match up on a whim on depending on who's hitting in the sixth or seventh, then you change it on that guy. I don't know. I mean, I'm I'm not a professional player or reliever. So Doolittle, what do you got on that? Is yet. there yet you're, not yet. Yeah. No, you're you're very right. And and um without I don't really know the any of the Yankees guys or, or how the Yankees do it, but just relievers in general, 
the best the best bullpens, the most effective bullpens that I've been a part of. Um, the when the phone rings in a certain in like a certain situation, whether it's the sixth inning or the the eighth inning, um, the best bullpens are when that phone rings and everybody down there knows who it's going to be for. Um, because you've kind of communicated and, and the, the manager has found um, a, uh, an order and, and a role for, you know, just about everybody. And like the, the phone's ringing that hasn't even been picked up yet. And that guy's taking his sweatshirt off and he's already walking to the mound. So I think when it comes to like roles, we might see roles shift to where you're not necessarily the seventh inning guy and you're not the eighth inning guy but it might be like a, a chunk of the lineup to say like, Hey, if we get through, through these guys, we're going to, it's going to be this, it's going to be this player, this pitcher. Um, if it's these guys and there's runners on base, it's going to be that guy. Um, so it might be like uh, the roles might be defined more by situations um, or parts of the opposing lineup than necessarily by innings. Um, and I think you're, there's, there's a, a gradual shift that's already happening because when I first came into the league, like once you got that closer title attached to you, like you hung on to it for dear life. And like, you wouldn't go to another team. If you couldn't be the closer, you wouldn't sign a free agent deal. If you couldn't be a closer somewhere else. Um, and you like would, would refuse under any circumstances for your manager to take you out of that role. If you had any say in it whatsoever, like once you got that title, like you were the title, cause those were the only relievers that were getting paid. Yeah, those were the exactly. only relievers that were getting, that were getting, uh, sought after in free agency, like were guys that were, you know, closers. And now you're seeing setup men getting taken care of pretty, pretty well nowadays. Um, teams are, are understanding that if if they're willing to take their starting pitcher out after 100 pitches in the say the fifth inning well there's outs you got to get and these guys have to be these have to be guys that are able to pitch uh, two or three nights in a row they, they, we got to get guys that can go four out of six games uh, and still be effective um, and, and that your bullpen can't rely on just having one guy at the back end. And, and so set up men and, um, you know, matchup guys, it'll be interesting to see how the three batter minimum plays into this, but like, um, you know, they, they were getting taken care of and, and, and looked, looked at and, and sought after in free agency. Um, so you've seen guys, there's been a little bit of a shift where it's been like, all right, you've been our closer, but, you know, tonight, hey, we might need you in the seventh or eighth, depending on the way the situation's going. And guys are more um, open to that because those guys are still um, uh, really uh, the guys, the, the their value. Um, and, um, you know, at the end of the day, guys want to just have a really good idea when that phone rings in the bullpen, who it's going to be for. And, um, you know, that, that's the way, I think that's the best way to keep relievers happy and, and also make it be the most effective for the team. You, you guys, the, the nationals down the stretch and in the postseason, you guys had, I mean, Scherzer came out of the pen, Corbin yeah. came out of the pen a bunch of times okay. is, do they, are they picking your, your, the bullpens here? Like, do they come up to you and be like, Hey, any tips, any tricks? Um, Corbin didn't, he's pretty quiet and, um, he has a really good routine. So, um, 
he he didn't as much. Strauss, um, a little bit in the wild card game, he was down in the bullpen early in the game, and and um, um, he kind of just wanted. He was sitting. He was sitting in a in a in a section up the stairs and in, in at Nats Park where um, you couldn't really see all of it. Really sure what was going on but he was kind of talking to us um some of the guys about um some of our routines a little bit but he's another guy veteran guy that's been around for a while and and has a really good routine the one that was the one that surprised me was max in the world series in game six um he was down there because he missed game five he missed his start in game five he had the neck issue and he was in the bullpen, and he was he was available and ready to pitch during Game Six, um, just in case. And um, the phone the phone started ringing, uh, and it wasn't for him, but I think it. Or this was like the middle of the game, maybe like the fifth or the sixth, and and I think uh, he was. It it kind of like reminded him that he's out of his element a little bit in the bullpen, and and he looked next to me he looked to me i was sitting right next to him and he said hey like um what do you think i should do like to warm up <laughs> and i was like i was like what i was just like i just like looked at it and started laughing i was like are you serious like you're like you're max scherzer uh, like i said that to him i was like you're max scherzer like and he was like no like i don't know like what do you do like i want to get my legs loose and i want to move around but like i don't want to tire myself out and i was like you won't tire yourself out. And this blew my mind because he had already pitched out of the bullpen in the division series against LA in game two. Um, he pitched, he struck out the side in the eighth and was like the nastiest that he could possibly be. It was just a dominant inning. It was, it was ridiculous. And so I was like, I, that's on like another reason I was like, you've already done this. Like, just do what you did that time. Cause that worked pretty good. And, uh, but he was like, I just don't want to tire myself out, but I want to like start moving around a little bit. And I was like, go over there. I was like, I don't know, go over there and like jog back and forth. That's what we do. Like, <laughs> like yeah. do some, do some side shuffles, do some back pedal, like just get your legs moving a little bit. Like, you, you know, I, I mean, you could play light catch with the catcher if you want. Uh, without getting him down like if you if you want to get ready quickly um but no like those three guys were were obviously um we couldn't have done it without them and and it really helps when you have some of the best pitchers on the planet that want to come down to the bullpen uh that are willing to pitch out of the bullpen it's it's such a completely different way to prepare for an outing than the starter is usually used to but they just thrived on that adrenaline man and and um it, it was it was so awesome to see. Yeah, I pull. I love yeah. it. Go ahead, Jake. I I think they were just trying to flex on you and be like, "Wait, what's coming out of the bullpen?" Like, I just <laughs> normally I just started out there. That's my bad. Um, I just I just yeah. love that Max Scherzer is asking you for like the secret recipe, and you're like, "Go uh, go jogging in place, bro." Like, <laughs> I, like, I was like, "Hey, man, we're relievers. We're it's not sexy down here. We're not too proud." Like. Go, I don't know, do some jumping jacks. You just got to get your heart rate going a little bit. Like, we do some stuff that looks really weird, um, you know, arm circles, and we're flapping our arms and backpedaling and doing a bunch of weird stuff. And um, But you got to find a way to get yourself ready with maybe some limited space and, you know, no equipment normally. So do some leg swings by the wall. I don't know. Just Yeah. I looked it up. He hadn't come out of the bullpen 
since 2008, his rookie year with Arizona, like a whole decade. So he's, why would you, you know, but that's, uh, it's funny. It's funny. What he, um, he we, did. So I was going to say he did it. He did it in the, in the division series against the, against the Dodgers in game yeah. two uh-huh. and was down there in game five. Um, and I, I was warming up. I was on the mound in getting ready to go in for the bottom of the 10th. And at this point, the game was still tied. And and I saw him like lurking the bullpen at Dodger Stadium. If you're standing on the, on the rubber and you're, you're pitching towards the field. But if you look in the direction of where like first base would be, so just like as a lefty, like it was straight in front of me, is the, is the tunnel that goes back to the locker room. And I see him like, he's pacing back there like and i'm like i'm like this is my inning i was like i wanted to be like max get the hell out of here like i see you back there i'm gonna like this is my it's my turn to pitch and like because like relievers once once you get called and you start warming up like you get really like uh defensive and protective of like your opportunity to pitch um and and uh then howie hits the home run and we go up four and um he's still back there and he's pacing and i'm like you're all right now you're just making me nervous because it's like if i if i run into trouble like you're gonna come in you're are you basically saying i'm gonna mess this up and you you're gonna have to like be ready to come like bail me out i was like (laughs) "Eh." but um but he so he'd had a little bit of experience uh you know he got a crash course maybe in the playoffs of coming out of a bullpen yeah it's funny it's nuts hey what um we had Daddy Dozier on the show, um, and oh. we we talked we talked about his shirt off escapades and all of it. Legendary, and, uh, yeah. What a what a, he he was great, man. Him and him and Plouffe went back to the Twins. He told us he got his power swing by just like doing hitting off a tee and trying to hit home runs. And we're like, what? Um, but uh, go 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 tune into that. But um, I, I don't know. So much has been talked about. I, you guys won the World Series. There's a reason it was talked about, and you know. Uh, you guys had an older core, and you guys started off slow. It came together. Uh, Rendon's a nut. Soto's a nut. Scherzer, blah, blah, blah. The bullpen came together for the playoffs. It, it was great. What's, what's like, the story that hasn't been leaked yet? And not in a hot take, like, gossipy way, but what, what, what do you feel people don't talk about that team enough after the World Series? Because uh, there's a ton of great storylines. I mean, from, you know, Kendrick and Eaton going nuts in the dugout after home yeah. runs and you got the old guys. You got the young guys with Soto and Robles. What what do you feel needs to be out there more about that Nats team? Oh man, um, heavy. I, that I is a think heavy like, um, I think like um, it's it's been talked about. You know the 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 chemistry in the clubhouse and and stuff like that. But to me, um, it it could not have happened without uh certain guys in the clubhouse and and um let's be honest like we've had some really good guys that have played for the the nats over the last several years like i got there in 17 and you know you, you if you were to just walk around the clubhouse like the names that are above the lockers like it it's almost like an all-star team between we had daniel murphy back then and harper and um you know zimmerman's been there for a long time and Max and Strauss and Rendon and Trey Turner. Um, I mean, there's so many really good guys on that team. It's like, how have we not won? Like, mm-hmm. and I think like, 
I think at, at some point, like we we didn't have we didn't have like any swag, right? Like we were like we were pretty good at baseball, but like we're kind of dorks. Like, and I don't know, I don't know if like we had enough, I I truly don't know if like we had enough fun playing the game. Like, I think we were just, there was like maybe like a business like mentality to it where it was like, we just have to, we just have to go out and win. And it was like a little bit more serious. And then you fast forward to 2019. And by, uh, I remember in, in June, the first time we had a dance party after a game in the clubhouse, (laughs) We were in Detroit and um, it was a day game and um, we had had some travel issues coming into Detroit. So uh, even though it was a three game series, like everybody's sleep schedule was all out of whack. And um, so for this day game, it's getaway day, but we're still kind of recovering from that. And, um, you know, day game after a night game is always grindy anyway. But, uh, you know, coming in the morning, like everybody's, still waking up and eating breakfast in the clubhouse and um, Annabelle Sanchez and uh, Fernando Rodney walk into the clubhouse at like nine 30 and they got these, uh, they got these tinted sunglasses. Uh, you might, they were wearing them in the dugouts. Yeah. Uh, it, and, and they were, they were, um, they were like a promotional giveaway from uh, the um, uh, like the sparkling uh, the seltzer water company bubbly. I think that's how you say it. Um, and I, I think they just like they picked them up on their walk from the hotel to the field. Like there was like a I think there was like a promo stand like set up outside of the stadium and they got it on the and and Rodney has a boom box uh, over his shoulder and they are bo- and they are blasting music at like 9:30 in the morning and it's reggaeton and they're coming in and they're dancing and everybody like like even like my first instinct was like please shut up like i'm i'm not awake yet like i'm still my first cup of coffee like come on like it's mid June, and at this point like we were in the jungle like we rock we hit rock bottom on may 24th everybody talks about that we got swept by the mets at city field and um so we, we're just starting to crawl out of the hole we dug ourselves and but we still can't see the top of it like we're still deep in it we're probably 10 games under 500 at this point and um we're you know so we're, it, our our mentality is still like we got to go. Like, we got to go. It's very like heads down. Let's go. We got to grind this thing out. And they come in and they're dancing and they're, and they're singing and like, they start grabbing guys and like doing like salsa dancing with them. And, and this is like before a game and, and, and everybody's just kind of like, what's going on. (laughs) And then, and then after the game, um, I came in after the game and, um, uh, I coincidentally that was a, a special day for me personally that was my hundredth save uh, that I got in the big leagues and uh, that was like a really special milestone for me so like I came in I had to do an interview on the field and I was you know I'm super excited coming back into the locker room I'm walking my chest out you know I'm a hundred save guy <laughs> I, like sorry about it well immediately <laughs> they start they start blasting this music like they were waiting for me it, which I thought was really cool. Like they recognized like what happened for one of their teammates. They waited for me to start this celebration after the game. And like, it was like, all right, he's here. There's guys like with their shirts off and like all they're wearing is like their sliders. Like, and I'm like, what is going on? And they were like, all right, let's go. And like somebody presses play on the speakers 
and like a conga line just starts happening <laughs> like a, a, around the clubhouse in Detroit. And, and I'm like, uh, and like Trev, you've been there. Like, it's not that big. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of like a U shaped room, which is not ideal for a conga line. Cause it, that requires a lot more snaking. And, um, <laughs> uh, and I was like, what is going on? And like, initially like my first thought after the game was like no like we're celebrating too much after winning just a random game in june like we what are we doing like we're gonna burn ourselves out like you can't get this high after a win in the middle of the season what are we doing and but like by the end of it i was like in the conga line like living it up (laughs) having the time of my life and like I think like, so that continued to happen the rest of that road trip and all throughout June and, and, and July and August and September. And after we won, we had, there was dance parties in the clubhouse after games and there were conga lines and um, there was like a dance circle. Usually Dozier was in the center of it. Um, but they would also pull, they would pull guys in like guys that weren't still like super comfortable, like getting out of their shells, like Strauss, like me, like, um, <laughs> I, I, contrary to what you guys might think of me, I am awful at dancing and I have no moves. I no. can do the, I can, <laughs> I can do the floss. I can floss. And that's oh, like, that's my huge, only dancing. Man. Oh, right. Bounce. Yeah. So that's like my go-to that's home base for me. Yeah. When it comes to, like dancing. So like. Like, uh, that I can always fall back on, which gives me a little bit of confidence when they pull me into the middle you of the gotta circle. have it. But like, um, it started with, it started with the Latin guys. It started with Doge who, I don't know if he talked about this, but completely fluent in Spanish, um, which was really cool to have somebody, uh, an American English speaking player, take it upon themselves to learn Spanish having spent time playing in, in, in Latin America and in winter leagues and stuff like that. Um, and, um, but to have guys like Para and Annabelle Sanchez and, uh, and Fernando Rodney guys who have established themselves in this league show almost show us like, Hey, it's okay to have fun. Like we can still have fun and, uh, get us to loosen up a little bit. And, um, yeah, you saw the, the, the dancing in the dugouts after home runs, you saw the handshakes and stuff before the game and, and in the dugout get more elaborate over the um it was because of those guys that we were finally able to loosen up enough to start having enough fun to like enjoy the opportunity that we had and come together as a team and um i just it, for me it, in that moment in detroit like i was still like this angry like baseball dork that was like what are you guys doing we can't do a conga line after a game in a, a one-run win in the you know june like this can't be okay the baseball gods aren't gonna like this <laughs> and then like but by the you know a couple of weeks later like i'm dancing in, in the middle of the circle in the clubhouse and and uh it, it man it, it was awesome guys would get called up we got guys that got traded over and we would and we were like i can't wait to show these guys the celebration yeah, of the that's kind of fun. Af- after we win. Like this is what we do. <laughs> we had at one of the games, um, uh, the, the, the running back for the Redskins guys, um, he threw out the first pitch before the game. Um, and this was in the summer. So it was before football season started, but he was, I think he was a first round pick. Right. And, yeah. uh, and, and so like after the game, like we, they invited him in the locker room after the game and they were like, 
we they got he got in the conga line but like half halfway through he was like he was like what is this like you could tell like he he kind of stepped back to the side and he was like he was like i don't know about these guys man this is crazy like i've never seen anything like this before but like we would like new guys would come to the team and we'd be like i can't wait to win today because i can't wait for these guys to see the shenanigans that goes on after the game and like Oh man, it, it it was it just got like everybody like to let their guard down, let their personality come out, uh, you know, have some fun together after a game, man. It it uh it changed the season for us and in a game where you we measure everything and use metrics for everything, that's still one thing you can't quantify and uh we're lucky that we had those guys to to help us uh, get our heads on right. Yeah, I I can say that like about Every single World Series team talks about clubhouse chemistry and how important it was to their season, how it mm-hmm. got them there, how it kept them loose. Yeah. And yet, yeah, you, you just said you can't quantify it, so it kind of gets dismissed. Right. But, like, is that something that's falling through the cracks, you think? Like, with certain teams, like, hey, like, I get it. Like, you want the best players. And right. winning helps with that clubhouse atmosphere. Like, if you're just losing every day, it's really hard to do that. But – there's something to be said about trying to I, I don't can you generate that like randomly or is it just something that has to come um I don't know how you I don't know fi- I don't know how you find it like I don't know how I I don't know what that process would be like but in, Are there in certain addition, guys that that yes help? In, so like, in addition to getting looking for the best players I think you also have to look for the right players that fit maybe the group that you already have, maybe they complement. maybe. Um, so like, I think Howie Kendrick is a perfect example for us. Um, he, you know, by like, by like May and June, like he's tearing the cover off the ball. Like he's absolutely mashing. And, and even into like August, he was hitting 340. And like, I think it would have been really, really easy for, Davey and 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 the coaching staff to try to find a way to get him into the starting lineup every single night but he was like listen I'm telling you guys I can't be an everyday player for this team like I based on where my body is and how I feel because uh, he was coming off an Achilles injury he he tore his Achilles it was pretty gnarly in the beginning of 2018 and so this was his and I mean he he's getting a little bit older. Um, we were the oldest team in baseball last year, the VA host. Um, and, uh, it was something we were very, very proud of, but we also knew that it, it would take guys being willing to be like honest with themselves and maybe take a back seat for the first time in their career, being willing to share the load and share the playing time. And, but like Howie to me was like the guy that kind of set that tone and was like, I can be the pinch hit guy that comes in off the bench for you every night in the sixth or seventh or eighth inning when we need a big hit. But my body, the grind of a season, I can't take it every single day. And then you saw guys like like Doge, um, a guy that's you know hit you know 40 homers in this league and has established himself as as a Gold Glove second baseman that can hit in the middle of an order. Now he's sharing time at second base with with uh, maybe as Drupal Cabrera or or Howie on some nights. Um, you had Zim and, and Matt Adams platooning together at first base. You had Jan Gomes and, and um, Kurt Suzuki platooning a catcher. Um, you had a lot of guys that um, were, were willing to um, share that playing time 
which is, I, I think is a little bit rare, especially if you're an older guy, like you want to, you, you don't want to be keyholed as a guy that's a platoon guy or, or a matchup guy that can only play when lefty starting pitchers are on the, you know, other side or, um, uh, you know, stuff like that. But like we had, we had the right guys that fit, you know, Parra was another guy. I mean, this guy, he's been in the league for 10 years. He's won a couple gold gloves. Like he's been around, like he's super established, but like, he was like, no, like, and there were times where they were like, I want to play. I want to play. I want to play more often. But like at the end of the day, like our team worked the way that it did because we had guys that recognized maybe where they were at, being honest with themselves about what their role might be on that team and embracing the role and being like, all right, well, if I'm going to split time at second base, I'm going to be, um, when I'm in there, like I'm going to make the most of it. I'm going to embrace that role and be the best that I can at it. And I think like, for me, Howie was the guy that set that tone, um, and uh, but everybody just kind of embraced it. So I think in addition to looking for the best players, you also have to look for the right players that fit your roster and the way that you're trying to build your team and what your team identity is going to be. Yeah, and a lot, a lot of those, a lot of teams that go into the postseason, like we've seen it with like the Rangers had the claw, remember that? Or the Anchors oh, yeah. and the yes. Yankees do thumbs down. Like there's all those things, but you guys had – so many things like baby shark so was awesome. Things. The dancing, so many things. Eating, I remember eating and Howie with the race car stuff. Yep. The, yeah, the dugout. Did, a lot of dancing. A lot of dancing. Um, as I look back on this, um, which for me, like I said, I got one dance move was a little bit unfortunate. Um, Seems like I you have one more than Strauss, though. Don't sleep on Strauss. I don't want to give too much away. But okay. His moves came a long way, and he wow. even like smiled a few times while he was dancing. He started to have Whoa. some fun, in, in spite of himself, I think. So, um, it was for me. It was really cool to see to see Strauss kind of, you know, the hugs get a lot of attention. Sanchi and and Para giving him hugs and uh, getting Strauss to crack a smile after his day was done in the dugout after his starts, and um, you know, he was uh, he. He 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 came around and he really started to embrace it and enjoy it. But uh, um, I think like um, what were we talking about? I got sidetracked thinking about Strauss dancing. It's good. A bunch. Of, I was talking about a bunch of things, but I wanted to get to one of the things that fans came to enjoy every time it came was the Soto Shuffle. Oh yes. And we we yes. talked with Dozier, who a I need to hear his uh spanish with that mississippi accent that sounds like a wild combination to me but, <laughs> but uh he, he, dozier told us that soto went up to him at one point and said like doge do you like it is it okay about the soto shuffle and his answer was as long as you do it when you're in a slump too yes. it's fine so from the pitcher's yeah. mentality what did you feel about that i mean do you do you love it do you would you love it if a guy was up there doing that to you I would not love it uh, if a guy was doing it to me, uh, especially because like um, I'm 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 big on I'm like pro bat flips and having fun when you play um, as as long as it's not directed at me, you know the pitcher. Yeah, like it's, it's not like um, and so like but the Soto Shuffle kind of. Uh, really pushes the limit on that because when he's doing the shuffle, he's looking right at the pitcher and he's wearing him up. Contact <laughs> yeah. with him and most thrilling. And it's like, 
man, who is this guy? He's 21 years old and he's out here smiling at me. Like he's <laughs> shuffling and it, he, cause he, a lot of times like he ends up in fair territory in front of home plate because the shuffle gets so big. And like, if, if I was out there, I'd be like, I don't think I'd necessarily be mad, but I would definitely be like, what is this guy doing? Yeah, like, what's this about? What is going on here? I know he's trying to get in my head, but like, I don't understand what exactly his game is here. Um, <laughs> so like, I don't know, like I, I, for me, the, the moment that I, I, I fully came around on the Soto shuffle was in 2018, uh, later in the season, I think it was maybe July or August. Um, he it, we're playing at Milwaukee and he ends up in a long battle with Jeremy Jeffress um, who's out there throwing he's throwing 100 he's throwing nasty splits you look up his numbers for the Brewers in, in 20 in 2018 he was ridiculous and he's giving him everything he's and he's Soto is fouling it off. He's fouling it off. And after like every pitch, Soto's doing the shuffle, like right back at him. And Jeffress, he's not backing down either. He's, he's talking to him. He's shaking his head, you know, like um, they're, they're kind of going back and forth, but in like a, in a competitive way, like it, there's no animosity there. Like they're just both like really enjoying this competition that's going on right now. Jeffress ends up striking Soto out. And afterwards, after Soto gets out, it's the last out of the inning. Soto takes his helmet off and sets it down right at his feet and looks at Jeffress as Jeffress is walking off. And Jeffress is kind of like pounding his chest. He's excited. It was a big spot in the game. He gets, gets Soto after a long battle. And uh, he, Soto smiles, puts his helmet really gently, nods his head like, hey, you got me. And um, that was, that was kind of it. And for me, it was like, okay, here's at the time Soto was 20, but I was like, here's this 20 year old kid that's out here showing all this emotion, but he still has the presence of mind and the respect for the game and the humility to enough to be like, all right, I just got beat. Um, I got beat kind of at my own game here. All right. Like you, like you win, like, okay. Like, and you know, like there, that, that was all there was to it. And, and for me uh, to see him, he, kind of grow and, and, and show that in that moment. Um, I knew that he's going to be okay in this league. And, um, you know, for me, the, the, the carrying the bat in the world series was just, that was a highlight for me. Uh, I thought it was, I, I mainly, I thought it was ridiculous because after the game, he said, uh, he said, oh, I saw Bregman do it and I thought it looked cool. Yeah. And I was like, and I was like, I was, I was like, here's a guy he's, I think that was he had just turned 21. So I was like, "Here's this guy. He's 21, playing his first World Series, and he's out here planning his home run celebrations. Like the game's not that easy. I'm out. I'm pacing in the bullpen, trying not to throw up because I'm so nervous. And this guy out here is planning this home run celebrations and being like, "Well, if I hit one, I'm gonna do that. Like next it, time I hit a homer, I'm gonna do something like that because I thought it looked cool. That's, like that's I, that's crazy to me. I made a little breakdown on that Bregman doing it and then Soto doing it and the comments on YouTube were so funny because I get a lot of people that don't even watch baseball. They just like find the little tidbits I put out there interesting, and that so many comments were like, "Why can't they carry their bat the first? Like, <laughs> what? I don't understand what this is about. Like, they carried their bat the first. <laughs> They're like." What it? What do you mean? I was like, yeah, I guess we're kind of in a weird societal baseball thing here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 
I, I thought I and in the moment, like I, I didn't. There were some guys on our team, um, you know, that Bregman celebration definitely kind of rubbed them the wrong way and was a little bit too much for them. I, I thought it was just more a little bit more awkward than anything else. Like he, he hit, he hit like a like a big home run, and like he he kind of held his bat out, like that was part of like the pimp job. And then, like, he starts jogging to first, and it was almost like he realized he's like, "Oh no, like I still have my bat in my hand. What do I do with it now?" <laughs> like, I didn't think like he was doing it to like show anybody up or anything. That wasn't the vibe that I got. I was just like, "Well, I was like, that was kind of like a little awkward." And then, like, he kind of tried to drop it and like give it to the first base coach or something. I don't know. First base but, coach like, was like, "Fuck you, dude! I'm not taking your." <laughs> yeah, Don yeah. Kelly. I mean, Don just Kelly. Got- like he's like, I don't want to carry your badge. Just put it down. Don't, yeah, dude. don't don't make me an accessory to this. Like, I'm not <laughs> ready for that. I'm not ready for that smoke. But like, um, so I didn't. I was just like, ah oh, man, that was more awkward than anything else. And like, then Soto's like, I thought it looked cool, and I decided that <laughs> next time I hit a home run, I'm gonna do that. I was like, wow, this was that, kid. Was that a ver- just, That was the Verlander homer. Yeah, I think it, so. It but like it was he hit it 700 feet off Verlander. I mean, holy. Uh, but it was well, funny because both managers were like, they, they shouldn't have done that. That's not right. And Bregman was like, I shouldn't have done that. I apologize. And Soto was like, I thought it looked cool. So I did it. <laughs> yeah. Hey, hey, and I don't do, – did you do the breakdown of that Soto at bat? Where yeah. Where he's kind of talking to Chirinos and he said – because the, the pitch before the homer was just above the zone – and Soto yeah. was like, "No, if you if you throw it in the zone, I'm gonna hit it. I'll show yeah, you. Yeah, it's, yeah. I'll show you it's a strike." <laughs> like he, like him and Trinos were chirping all game or all series. Um, I did I one mean, with him just... and him and Granky, where he he squared Granky up and grabbed his nuts while he was staring at him and stuff. And I mean, Granky then Granky did a fake shake on a three one fastball, like shook it off, and then just threw a fastball right down the middle. And Soto nods at him like, "Ha, ah, you motherfucker!" Like, because who takes a three one fastball right down right. the middle? And there right. was like really cool mind games between the two of them. Yeah, oh, I gotta go back and watch that man. I I love watching him play the game because he has fun uh, playing the game, but he's he's also so smart and so mature. And his approach is so advanced and, um, you know, the, all the, all the stuff that he does, um, uh, the fun that he has playing the game, he still has an incredible amount of respect for it. And like you said, like going to a veteran, seeking Dozier out and going to a veteran and being like, is it okay if I do this? Like that goes a long way in a clubhouse, but it also shows like that he, he's, still very much wants to earn his place in this game as a young guy and he's not taking anything for granted. And, um, he's, he's one of the the most exciting players in the league to me. Yeah. I, I think there's a, there's a beautiful juxtaposition there. Cause I think we're, I think it's in the same game, but I think Scherzer getting loose in the bullpen and not knowing how to get loose between Juan Soto <laughs> telling himself he's going to hit a home run and how he's going to celebrate. There's nothing beautiful there. Um, Trevor, I, I was going to ask you a question. Um, do, you, oh. do you remember facing Sean Doolittle? Um, I do. Okay. It was – I remember in particular one at bat. I don't know how many at bats – do you, you have it up right now, Jake? I, I, had, this, I had one at bat. Yeah, I, yeah, I was going to say it can't be that many. So it was 2000, I want to say 13 or, or it could have been 11. I don't know. It was really, it was pretty early in my career. 
Um, and I remember I, did, I wasn't playing that day. And I checked out because in the AL, if you have an off day, you just kind of have an off day. You know, like you don't play. And I pinch hit against you. And I think you just like gassed me up like three fastballs and I was gone. And I remember being like, the fuck was that? Like, why was I hitting right there? Like, I'm not, I wasn't ready for that. <laughs> you know, and, and you were, you were, I mean, I don't know what your numbers were, but I remember at the time, like, you were super locked in and like, you were, like, I didn't want to face you. Like, I was checked out and I went up there and it, it showed, like, I was. Yeah, look, called gone. strike, ball, foul, foul tip. You saw one yeah. ball. See you later. <laughs> <laughs> what, year, what year was that? 12, 2012. Okay. At, at, at the Coliseum. Twins? At Coliseum. At Coliseum, August 21st, yeah. I remember uh, Olivia, who was not my wife. She's my girlfriend at the time. She had, like, a friend with her at the game, and, like, I wasn't playing, so they kind of were, like, going to leave early so they could beat the traffic, and then she, like, heard my name. Like, I was pinch hitting, and she, she's like, oh, yeah, I watched you at bat, and I was like, oh, well. I'm sorry that you, sorry you had to see that. You know, like very proud. She wasn't proud of me right there. It was a quick one. I do. I heard an interview you did where where you said that you didn't really get into the analytics until you got to Washington heavily. Yeah. Uh, is that just kind of like time and place, or is it something that they offered when you got there? Or, is it, or like, were you not into it beforehand? Um, I. Part of me, like I wasn't, uh, I wasn't super into it, um, and it was something that that they kind of approached uh, me with in, in 2017, and then I really started getting into it more in in 2018, um, and uh, because prior to that, like I um, spin rate wasn't really a thing when I came into the league. Like I came into the league in 2012, and spin rate wasn't a thing. Like I was one of the few guys that pitched at the top of the zone and lived and lived across the top of the zone. Um, now you're seeing guys that, you know, really like train for that and try to do that on purpose. And at the time I was just like, I don't know, I'm just going to let it eat. Like, and, um, but I didn't know about spin rate or spin efficiency. And so I was doing so much of it by feel and by instinct and, and not really trying to think too much. And, but then like, you know, you, you get older, your career progresses, you start to need to know a little bit more detail so that you can make adjustments and try to hang around and stay ahead of the competition. And uh, when I got over to, to Washington after the trade in 2017, really started to dive into it, understand kind of what makes my fastball do what it does and what I need to do you know, work backwards from that, what I need to do with my mechanics in order to get my body into that position. Because you're fastball 80% of the time. So are you thinking like, hey, like the pitch mix stuff, <laughs> I'm kind of set. Yeah. And for me, like, um, that's not, it's, I, I, I wish it was 80%. That's mean, that would mean I was throwing 20% off speed, but I think last year I was still like 88% fastball. Okay. Um, it's, it's, some, some years it's been in the low nineties. Um, and it's not, um, that's not because like, that's, that has more to, because I haven't figured out off speed pitches yet. And it's not for lack of trying. Know, 
It's not for lack of trying. Like I you spend just a really good fastball. Dude. Like don't be don't be modest here. Like you have an elite fastball. I appreciate that. I appreciate that. But I would love Rendon. nothing more. Rendon had it down, and and <laughs> I I would throw some change ups. I would throw some change ups, and uh, Rendon would I would look over at third base, and Rendon's like has his glove in front of his mouth, and he's I could tell he's smiling because he loved it. Um. But uh, um, I, 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 once I start, I, I, early in my career, I used to get like really paranoid that everybody knew what pitch I was going to throw. And I was <laughs> like, I was like, I can't, I, it's not like I can throw harder. I'm throwing every pitch about as hard as I can. So it's like, how do I keep these guys off balance if I'm throwing 90% fastballs? Like everybody knows what pitch I'm going to throw. They know what's coming. These are big league hitters. Like, what do I do here? And as I progressed throughout my career, I started to realize that like I could use that to their advantage to my advantage. I'm sorry. If they know what pitch is coming and if I show them that pitch and they see that pitch come out of my hand, maybe just across the top of the zone or just in off the plate, um, I can show them the pitch that they were looking for. So they'll swing at it, but I can get them to kind of swing at it on my terms. And with, with the deception that it has, um, I can probably miss their barrel. Um, I can get them to pop it up or I can jam them. Um, and then, you know, starting to learn more about the spin axis and the spin efficiency. I don't have elite spin rate. Um, really? No, I don't. Like on a good day, like I'm 2,400. But I spend but most efficient. days. I'm, my, it's my spin efficiency that makes it uh, effective and that's the deception. So, so the, the spin rate that I do get it, it maintains it for the entire way to home plate because it, it I can spin it on almost a true 12-6 axis. Um, and so it it really holds its plane and, and looks like it jumps and, and rises and has that deception. So having been a hitter, uh, you know, just long enough, I remember I know what those fastballs kind of look like. Um, and I know how tough they are to square up because you fight so hard to stay on top of it and you never can really seem to square it up. It's kind of like, kind of like hitting a wiffle ball. Like sometimes like you, it just seems like slip off the barrel of your bat. Like it's, it's hard to explain, but once I started to understand kind of what made the fastball effective from a scientific standpoint, it gave me more confidence to be like, all right, I'm not doing this by smoke and mirrors. Like there is a reason why this is happening. And if I can maximize that, then I can continue to throw it with confidence and have success. What you, you said about uh, your pitches and and a guy like you who is, you're, you're saying like close to 90% one pitch, as a hitter, you go up there and you understand that. And you're like, okay, obviously I'm looking for a fastball. But with your ability to locate it, it's exactly what happens. You're able to get guys to expand the zone because if they are looking for a pitch, they are getting the pitch – but they're getting it in a position that's tough for them to get their barrel to. So guys, just it's just really hard to be um, like you really have to be locked in and really try to get you into a plus zone for you. Like you're gonna see right here, Jimmy's gonna show and embarrass me here. <laughs> this like, is the that one I should have swung that out was right it. there. That's that was what, it. I mean, that's it. But now, hey, like, back, back in 2012, and this has changed a lot over the course of my career too. Um, if you had like a closer or setup man in late in the game and your team was down. Was there was off speed. Yeah. 
was a Respect right it. there. Thank you. Wow. wow. <laughs> <laughs> Huge trust. Hey, but I, and Trevor, you might be able to speak to this, but there were teams, there were entire teams that were like, we're going to pay till we get a strike. Oh, we, we were one. That might have been a situation. I remember right? the Angels were one too. And I remember like thinking like, you would show me to lay it in there against Trout. Like, <laughs> yes, yeah, Osha would be a guy that would do that. He's not going to swing. You, you promise? Look it. <laughs> you got two that at bat, Trev. You got two there. You'd think that, dude. I got one. I think the first <laughs> one was low enough. Look, Dottie Henson said this in a league of their own. High fastballs. Can't hit them, can't lay off them. That's the story of my life, bro. And a lot of hitters feel the same way. Those high fastballs look so good, but they're so hard to get. Like you said, Sean, they're so hard to get on top of. Like you have to consciously make an adjustment to do it. But then you're putting yourself in a zone that's like you're not going to be successful at a lot. So you, I mean, thanks for showing that, Jim. Way to go. Hey, we got that change up. (laughs) Do a little. (laughs) When uh, how does the catcher communication work with you? because you throw 90% fastball. If you throw an off speed, is that you audibling or do catchers still send that suggestion your way? Like, have you run across a catcher who calls for your off speed, like way too much? And you you have to be like, dude, I don't do that. Um, not it. That hasn't been an issue. Um, for me, I think at, at this point in my career, I've kind of been doing it this way for a long enough time that the catchers that I've worked with, know kind of what my strengths are and um so i know that if they put a if they put a off-speed pitch down like there's a really good reason why and because they don't do it that often if like i'm like all right if i just execute this there's a high probability that either a it will work or b it will get them off the fastball just enough that the next fastball i throw is going to look even faster to them and, and they're not and so there's a you know trusting their their methods um and i've been super fortunate with the catchers that i've gotten to work with over the course of my career zook and i go back to oakland um he he caught my debut and you know wow. this year i was, I was awesome. working i was working with him he and he kind of set the tone too there were there were uh i threw 21 pitches i think and i threw 21 fastballs in my debut against the rangers in 2012 <laughs> and, and there were there were three times during that outing where he put something else down and he thought i was messing with him but i i i swear to this day i swear i just couldn't see what he was putting down i was i i, I couldn't tell if he did i couldn't tell if he did a three that's how we do it in baseball or if he did if he was doing like a four with a wiggle and i was like it was so dark like i i was like i i so i stepped off and i pointed my eyes i said i can't see and he went each time i just put a one down i was like i was like yo i was was like and i'm and and that was the rangers and it was it was nelson cruz uh mike napoli Tori Alba and Craig Gentry were the first four guys I faced. And I was like, man, like you want me to throw fastballs to these, this, this is the Rangers, man. The 2012 Rangers lineup was, was, was no joke. And, um, but like there are times where they might, there's just kind of like an understanding. Like, I'm like, if you just put a fastball down, I'm going to try to hit your mask. 
Like, that's my focal point for most catchers based on their stance. I've had some guys that sit taller and I have to use the logo on their chest protector or whatever. But, like, um, if you want it lower, like, do something. I need, like, I need you to make that clear to me. Sometimes when we go away to right-handed hitters, um, we want a fastball down and away, and they'll put their glove almost on the ground because all we're really trying to do is change their eye level. If I steal a strike, great, but I'm not going to get hurt with it. Um, it's either going to be off the plate or it's going to be down, or it's going to be absolutely dotted in that bottom left corner of the zone. Um, I just want to walk their eyes out that way a little bit, and then next pitch usually is on the inner half or above the top of the zone. Um, so if you want fastball that's not across the top of the zone, that's when I need like some sort of signal. But um, I've been lucky that the guys I've worked with have we've kind of we, we've worked really well together. Yeah, that's awesome. And how ba- how bad was the paranoia between the catchers and and the pitchers in the World Series? Because for you, I don't know how. Oh, like, like was that how many meetings was there to like? Hey, this is how many sequences. I've heard that you guys got a million calls before you guys went into that World Series saying like, hey, yeah. just to let you know, this is what you're up against. Um, yes. Protect about, yes. protect from this. So were you guys well prepared? Seems like. Yes, it. we were We were well prepared and, and we had the benefit of having a little bit extra time between the NLCS and the World Series um, because we, we swept in the NLCS and I believe the ALCS went six games. And so we had... We had like a week before the World Series started, and um, uh, once it became, once we knew we were going to face the Astros, we did have um, people from other teams and other organizations that were calling to to let our coaches and staff know. But nobody knew specifics at that point. Um, every this talk was still like, "Hey, you got to be on top of your game. You got to keep mixing it up. Like something weird's going on, but we don't know what it is." And like. So like it, it was almost it still kind of had a feel of a conspiracy theory, but we weren't going to leave we weren't going to leave anything to chance. So um, we spent one one of the days in between series we spent pitchers got together with catchers, and our, our video guys gave us a um, a sheet with uh, with five lines on it, and they were like, come up with five sign sequences that you feel comfortable using, and I was like, yo. I've never needed to like get creative with my signs because everybody knows what pitch I'm going to throw. So like, I was like, do you think I need to like, even like spend any brain power on this? Do I need to like focus on this at all when I should be focusing on the Astros? And that's a whole other thing. Like once they get inside your head like that, with that kind of stuff, even if, even if like, you know, only 5% of your brain is worried about them having your signs when you're on the mound. Like that's 5% of your brain that isn't committed to what you're trying to execute and, you know, swings the advantage a little bit in the favor of the hitter. But I was like, do I need to like think about, and then I was like, ah, you know, I don't want somebody to like jump ship on me because, you know, I'll do it. And then I was like, the first thing about mixing up my, my signs. So like, and I'm talking to these other guys, and I, and they're using like, under regular circumstances, they're using like mental math. They're using like different things on the scoreboard, uh, different like sequences of like taps and like the the. I'm like, what? It, I don't. It would take me like a week to study that to feel comfortable. <laughs> and then you're gonna ask the first me the first time I'm gonna have to think about that is in the World Series. 
like all right i don't i don't feel good about this so like i'm start. i'm kind of having like a panic attack that um whatever but like i got together with jan and zook and we came up with five sign sequences that i felt comfortable using the catchers so, had to memorize five different sequences for every pitcher so what, band, right? yes so we had the wristband so okay. what happened was what happened was like all right I, I would come out of the bullpen and when Davey would come to make the pitching change, he would bring my card with my five sign sequences on it, give it to the catcher. Or So, I, so it was, it was Jan in game one, I think. And um, he would give Jan and Jan would slide that into his wristband. And I had mine in my hat in the lining of my hat. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, so Jan was like, all right, we're going to start with set sign set two. I was like, all right. So I take my head off and I looked at it and I was like, all right, that's the sequence we're going to use. And then, you know, if the, the at bat would go on for too long, cause I came in with a guy on second. So right away, I'm like, all right, we're going to figure out if this works or not. <laughs> <laughs> and like, I was like, all right. So, um, if this, you know, the at bat would go on too long or you wanted to change it after each hitter, he would come out and just give you like, Hey, we're going set three. Yeah. We're going set four. And then, but, the um our video guys would change the sequence after each game so next game if i came into the game and the catcher comes out and is hey we're going set two that's a different set two than was than the other day so like uh just trying to keep them off balance a little bit yeah um, i know giving uh, them gary sanchez and the yankees that they didn't run the same set of signs for more than four pitches like i was we were i was I made a, like a breakdown of it, like counting down. Like that's crazy. Well, they they lost in 2017 and had been filing complaints for three years. Like they knew good and well what was going on. So four pitches. Yeah, like if 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 an at bat got deeper than four pitches, the set was changing, and they were constantly checking their hats and all that. And if there was a good wow. swing, you'd see them change it. <laughs> oh my god! Like Hyper. Oh my gosh! Yeah, it's that's crazy. look hindsight. I've, and I told this to Doge, hindsight now, the 2019 Washington Nationals are heroes for taking down the Astros. Like knowing now what we know about like them and like the organization, like if they win that World Series, like I don't know, man, like things are different. But like now that like they lost and they lost in like kind of a heart wrenching way, like you guys are like. You guys are our heroes. We love you. Everyone in baseball is just super happy that that happened. And it happened that way. I'm serious, dude. Like, I couldn't even imagine if how it would be if they had actually won the World Series in 2019. It would be a lot different. I didn't know? think about it like that, but... Um, Nobody oh, wants man. them winning anymore. Like, dude, that's when, kind of... When you were in the, the bullpen at Minute Maid Park during the World Series, did you were you guys able to watch the game? Or, were you, or did they have SpongeBob on for you? There was a there's a TV in that bullpen, which is Minute Maid Park. That bullpen is my least favorite bullpen in the league. Um, it's tucked underneath that left field wall, the big the big left field wall that they have out there. And um, if you're standing up, the support beams on the chain link fence are like eye level, so you can't see the <laughs> you can't see the field if you're standing up. And then you also can't really hear anything because you're set back underneath the wall. So um, all the sounds from the game are really like muffled and um, it kind of sounds like you're underwater and, and uh, you just feel so removed from what's going on. So a lot of times, actually, we, between innings, we would walk around on the warning track, just like poke our heads out 
And uh, that way, the first time that you step onto the field for the World Series isn't when you're jogging into the game and yeah. you're not overwhelmed by everything. So um, Wrigley is kind of the same way too with their where their where bullpen is tucked underneath the uh, the bleachers. But um, were they messing with the TVs? A, no, no, there was a TV. There was a TV, but um, you know it's on a super delay, so it's pro- it's usually one or two pitches behind. Um, but um, so. I don't know. We didn't really look at it that often. When the Yankees um, were there, they were playing SpongeBob on that TV in the bullpen. CC was like, they were like calling up people, and uh, they would have uh, a member of the Astros staff walk through the bullpen like every couple innings, just head games galore. CC talks about it on his podcast like fucking bullshit. He used to get so mad when he talks about it. Jeez. Jeez, uh, there wasn't anybody walking around during the game. Um, there are there are guys that work that manual out of town scoreboard that's uh, in front of the Crawford boxes and shallow left. Um, and every once in a while, they would walk by like to use the bathroom, but like that was it. And then they would go back uh, to the scoreboard. So there wasn't anybody walking around. Uh, and the TV was there. It was it's on a super delay, but that's pretty st- that's standard for every bullpen yeah. anyway. So. Um, now there wasn't any funny business, uh, about that, but like we were watching the TV feed to try to see, like at one point they, they showed the train that that runs up there and, uh, they showed it on the TV and we were like, is there anything in there? Like guys were like all over it, but, um, <laughs> we, we, we didn't see anything. That's funny. Well, as, as Trevor mentioned, I, the baseball community, <laughs> like genuinely, We'll thank that 2019 Nationals team for for almost ever. And man, we've had you for a little bit, but we we and we love baseball here. But we love we love the dudes, man. And we we haven't talked any book stuff yet, and that's all in Jimmy's world. And in the sci-fi part of that, that's Trevor and I both. You know, despite our sexy exteriors, we are sci-fi kind of nerds. So t- tell us a little bit. I, I mean, it's you know, I think it's funny you open up your Wikipedia and we follow you on Twitter, and it's like. You know, on road trips, he goes to bookstores. <laughs> yeah, so, like, you're in <laughs> deep. Yeah, you're in deep with yeah, this book world now. Deep. Did you know that was going to happen? No, but I, I just decided to, uh, a couple of years ago, just start kind of leaning into my nerdy tendencies, you know, like, and just embrace them. Um, maybe, I, maybe I got comfortable because I'm a little bit more established in the league, but um, at the end of the day, like, um, I just thought like the bookstore thing would be like a fun way to share that adventure with some people on social media, but like, I didn't expect it to, to take off, but it's been so fun. Uh, and I've enjoyed talking books with people books for me. Like we talked a little bit earlier about kind of the mental grind that can be, uh, uh you know, the life of a reliever in the big leagues. Um, you know, there's, there's very, usually there's no gray area there. Uh, you do pitch in some high stress situations and, if things don't go your way, like it's, you know, it's your fault (laughs) that your team lost. But like, uh, so, uh, books for me have been like so far, they've been kind of the healthiest escape for me after a game to come home and kind of decompress, let my brain focus on something else rather than just kind of ruminating what happened during the game. Even if it was good, like you don't want to be, you don't want to get too high on yourself. You can't be walking around, puffing your chest out like you're the man just for doing your job just for doing what your team asked you to do like um so for me like having that escape and that outlet 
has really helped. For some guys, it's video games. For some guys, it's spending time with their families. For some yeah. guys, it's I, you know golf or hunting. I'm a huge book yeah. nerd. I, I I love reading, and I saw from your tweets that you're like in between three books, which is like how I. Some people can't do that. They like one start to finish and an end. Is this yeah. because you're in too deep? You're just trying to keep keep as many books going. But I, I am also in between three books right now, depending on what mood I'm in. So I, this is rare for me. I have two books going right now. Um, and I think it has more to do with just my mindset during the quarantine. Um, normally I'm able to really like focus on one book at a time, get super into it, you know, knock it out and, and, uh, and, you know, finish it in usually two to three days. But like right now, like there's been some days where I've had trouble focusing, um, because, you know, reading is normally like my outlet and right. And some days it feels like that's the only outlet. Um, so like focusing, can be a little bit tough and you know sometimes the book just might hit different you know in in a quarantine or you can't focus as much and you're like ah, oh, this isn't really doing it for me today and so i just picked up another one and i got super into that so i was like all right i guess i got i'm a two book guy right now i guess you're reading keith law's new book right now oh yeah well oh shoot i guess i got three books going i do have three books going yes i am <laughs> i yes. he's, they sent it to me as well but I'm scared because you said it was good, so I'll give it a shot. But uh, I think it was his first book. Smart Baseball? Yeah, I didn't like. <laughs> Why didn't you like it? I th- uh, was it Smart Baseball? No, it wasn't Smart Baseball. It was, um, oh, okay. it was this other book that I think he wrote that was just like the way it was written was, you know, Keith Law has a remover of joy as his Twitter bio. <laughs> And like, that's what I felt reading this book. I was like, oh my God, it wasn't smart baseball. So maybe it wasn't Keith Law, maybe something else. I like this one. It's called the inside game and and it kind of gets into a little bit of the the psychology behind maybe some of the decision-making in baseball. Um, Most of it um, so far has been about some of the decisions that managers or um, people in the front office have made regarding personnel decisions or setting a lineup and it gets into like, you know, recency bias and, um, stuff like that, like stuff that really like mathematically, there's nothing to back up, uh, something like a, like a hot streak or the fact that like a certain hitter might, um, uh, own a pitcher. Like, it's like, all right, well maybe he faced him like one time when he was going well, that skews his numbers, but like you can't just like throw him to the wolves and expect him to hit 400 off this pitcher for his entire career. Like that almost doesn't happen. And that's not sound decision-making. It's not, there's like mathematically, there's nothing to back up the idea of protecting a guy in a lineup. Um, mathematically, there's nothing to back up like, uh, like a, like a streak or like riding the hot hand. But like, these are all things that we accept as, you know, the absolute truth in baseball. And um, so I like the way like it talks about those things and it, it looks into them. And for if not for anything, as a player, I'm getting a glimpse into the way like a front office might think. So I kind of yeah. like that too. But yeah, that's, but the, that's like, that's my nonfiction uh, that I'm reading right now. Um, what's the but, fiction? Um, I'm reading... Uh, this book, you guys might, this is set in New York city. It's called the city we became. It's a, okay. it, it is, it is a, uh, NK Jemison is the author and she is, uh, one of my favorite authors. She wrote uh, a trilogy called the broken earth trilogy, which is kind of like a classic, uh, fantasy series. You recommended um, me 
that series. Uh, the Did fifth you like season. it? The fifth season yeah. is the first book, and yeah. um, I put it down, and I think I need wow. to pick it back up because yeah, I, I do respect your book choices, and you're making you're kind of convinced me to pick it back up. But I think it was they were going through a very descriptive phase at the beginning. And yeah. I kind of just like, whoa, like it's a lot. Totally, totally, and and gotta get and, through that phase. Yes, and like for okay, so for a lot of these fantasy books that I like, um, that I like to nerd out in, like the first like fifty to hundred pages sometimes get a little bumpy, and it's not always like the easiest to read because the the author is trying to build this totally new sure. world for you and explain yeah. all of these different. Uh, there's is maybe the geography of the land and some of like the folklore and stuff that mm-hmm. that it, and it, it can be grindy man and and there's some of these books they got they got maps maybe there's a glossary in the back for some <laughs> oh, of these terms yes. and, and you're like and at first I was like what am I doing like this feels like work <laughs> like yeah. what am I doing and uh, but like I've learned that if if I can kind of push through it and um, you know get some stuff out of it it, it ends up the, the reward is in this, the rest of the books. And, All right, um, fine. So, Let's get through it. Read, this, the, this... read the wiki for the first cha- two chapters. <laughs> there you go. There Maybe. you go. Uh, but um, no, but, and, and oh, the other one is, uh, is another fantasy book. Sailing to Serantium is the title. The author, Guy Gavriel Kay, is a huge baseball fan, and, and I've enjoyed a, a bunch of his other books, and I'm like halfway through that one right now too, so – um that one reads like it's set in like ancient rome or ancient greece um really cool stuff so um i I, you know like i said i'm just embracing my inner nerd here i love it i'm not a fantasy guy i wish i was because then i could talk to you about these books but yeah you're like a history guy right like you're like yeah like well like literature literature and history literature history baseball what are you reading right now right now i'm reading well i was between uh Swing Kings, the new uh, uh, Diamond yeah. book about the Hitting Revolution, and um, Wild Bill Hickok by uh, Tom Clavin. Sick. I like Tom Clavin. He wrote uh, Dodge City as well. He and he wrote one about Ted Williams, but his his style is it's just like he's everything I know about Wild Bill Hickok. I learned from Deadwood. Yeah, yeah, we just did. We have a history podcast, Jake and I, and we just did. We're in the middle of a Wild West season, and the most recent episode is all about Wild Bill. And I showed that's showed that's him some awesome. clips from Deadwood because Deadwood's awesome. Is it historically but, accurate? Yeah, yeah, Deadwood's really like really like almost on the nose. Besides, they don't talk like they're from Shakespearean England, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> but like Wild Bill's story is really accurate. That's awesome. Yeah, that's a good series. Yeah, yeah, I love Deadwood. I watch it. I rewatch it a lot. My girlfriend gets mad at me because it's like, if you don't know what's going on, it's like, what the fuck are these guys saying? <laughs> Jake, you want to nerd out Star Wars? I mean, uh, you know, again, reading is always a. It's been a tough thing, <laughs> lifetime for me. Uh, lifetime, <laughs> lifetime poops, poor reader. Right uh, uh, he's a uh, Mr. Popper's Penguin <laughs> I, guy. No, I'm I'm living. Everybody poops. Um, I I don't know. I mean, I it, the best thing I got going for me is I I can do the R two D two getting shot noise. We haven't done that on a podcast in a while, but that's all I got. That's know? pretty good. Have you heard this, Trev? <laughs> yes, I have. <laughs> can we hear it? Wait, can we hear it? 
Yeah, I'll move the mic back. Um, and yeah, it might might be might be a good close. Let's see. Let's get it at appropriate. <laughs> Girl, podcast. Girl, girlfriend's in the other room. She'll be pretty mad at me. She'll know exactly what you're doing. She'll always do it in R2D2. You're going to be single soon. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> oh my goodness. That's all I've got. No book oh. update, but. Oh my God. That counts, Jake. Who needs books? It hurt my heart when a little bit. <laughs> that's it for me. <laughs> when you're a human R2-D2 soundboard, I mean, that's pretty awesome. Thank, thank you, Sean. I needed that. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. Well, I had a, we had a bunch of other stuff. We'll have to have you on again another time or, yeah. or when things are back to normal, you have to stop by the office in, uh, in New York. Or, do you have a bookstore in New York? Do you go to the Strand? Um, I've been to the Strand. My favorite bookstore in New York is um, McNally Jackson. They have a, a spot in Soho. They have another spot in Brooklyn. Okay. Um, that's I'll one of my, my favorite list. spots. But there's so many that I, I haven't been to yet. Uh, 3N Company down in Greenwich Village is really good. Um, I, love I have to get Village. out to a, I have to get out to Astoria Bookstore in Queens. That I was supposed to go there during our, our opening series against the Mets, but um, you know that's still that's still on my list. So the Strand is cool, but because it, it, it's from like the 60s, but. It feels like a Barnes and Noble on that first floor. Yeah. Uh, I almost like run to the basement, like get me out of this section. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> but been there forever. Cool. All right, man. Hey, we'll have you back again. Thank you very much for sitting down with us. And uh, thanks for having me guys. Chewing up some of this quarantine time. Hopefully it ends soon. Yeah, man. This was yeah. fun man. I appreciate it. Hopefully we, we get some baseball to talk about at some point. Yeah, absolutely. That would be great. Okay, and that was Sean Doolittle, but there's actually more because we just kept talking, so I had to hit record on again because he started talking about how the balls were different in the postseason, and there was a home run that he that he should have given up to someone, and it didn't go Muncie. out. Who? Muncie? Muncie. And it, it, I didn't get this recording, but he, he gave up a hit to Muncie that he thought should have definitely been a home run. It didn't clear the wall, and then he was like, oh, the balls are different. Let's just attack them. And then, and then we kept going. We'll put that, we'll play uh, the rest of this on the outro. You know what? I'll just throw it to you right now. Now you know the context of it. Uh, and then after that, I was like, oh, okay, the balls are different. And we just started attacking. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> there it is. She said, she said to me that there was nine, over 100 homers that should have happened that didn't. In the postseason? That's a lot. No. Yes. I mean, this is the numbers that she's sending. Using stats, so, you know, track man to, you know, exit velocity and launch angle. 100? Yeah, but StatCast is fake anyway. They don't fucking. But I wonder, I but like how many, how many homers during the course of the 2019 season happened that shouldn't have been home runs? Like, That's I agree. So, yeah, the ball changed, but I think her theory is 2019, the ball changed. It became a turbo ball. Everyone got used to playing with it. Then in the – and we're just going to keep going. But getting into the postseason, they ran out of baseballs. And they introduced they balls out? from – Yeah. They introduced balls from 2018 and 17, which were more dead. And so they were just kind of like thrown in there. So like did, you really didn't know unless you were like really looking at the balls. You didn't know which one you had. And because of that, she said over 100 homers uh, would have happened. It didn't. 
Yeah, and, and they ran out because they started authenticating more balls during the regular season. Like, if there was just, like, a random-ass foul ball that went into the dugout, they would authenticate it and be like, Nelson Cruz, foul ball. Buy it for 50 bucks. <laughs> Oh my god! That's at least Listen, a... for me as a flyball pitcher. I I um, would love the ball to go back to how it was in 2017, <laughs> 2018. Um, I I pitched really well uh, in the playoffs, so I don't want anything to be like taken away uh, taken away from that performance at any in any way. Uh, but oh man, That's it crazy. was different. It was different. Do you have a least favorite home run you gave up last year without throwing like the hitter under the bus, but just a ball that came off that you're like, no fucking way. Not off the top of my head. Okay. I mean, I had, le- I had least favorite home runs I gave up because of like the situation <laughs> in the game, but um, a little different, but uh, there were, I, I, do they list? I, I didn't, I didn't feel like I gave up any cheapies. Okay, that's Does, good. Do they list they the got, distance on Baseball Reference? They got their money's worth. <laughs> this, this is how we end shows with pitchers. We tell you how far the home run balls you gave up were. So, yeah, no, you have it. Really they don't list. You it. have it there. No, oh, they don't okay. list it on Baseball Reference. I mean, what you get? You didn't give up many. Yes, I gave up. I think eleven. One, two, yeah, eleven. Yeah, when I think like three or four of them were in one game against the Brewers. <laughs> was it in Milwaukee? No, it was at home. That was that was a, three that of them. Yeah, dark, yeah. Yelich, Mustakis, Braun. What a, what a that combo! Was a, that was dark. Murderers those row right those are Plouffe's boys. Yeah, <laughs> that was a that was a dark day. I went on the DL right after that. That was that was like the writing on the wall for me. That was like you're not right. Like get yourself get yourself right for this playoff push. That was that was tough. Um, Looks like this Jordan Luplo one, ten pitch battle. Let's take that one back. <laughs> which one? Jordan Luplo, Indians, ten pitches, three two count. Oh yeah. <laughs> that I, see, I've kind of erased that one from my memory because I, I don't. It didn't affect the outcome of the game at all. No. So to me, like it didn't count. Like, well, it counted, but like, I think I had like a, a strikeout or two after that. And, and I was like, you know, other than that one pitch, like I pitched really well, I was coming back from an injury that was like late in September. Right. Um, yeah. Yeah. 28th. And, yeah. And I was like, all right, he got me, but like, um, uh, he got me pretty good too. Like if in DC, if it goes over the visiting bullpen in left field, like that's like legit. Yeah. It, it was like way out of there. It was a loud, <laughs> loud noise. Uh, uh, fellow was, Jersey like boy. I said, Todd gotcha. Oh, yeah, he did. That was so. That was during. I, was that in May? Does it say? Whatever the eighth month of the year is. Oh, that was Ooh. August. August. Yeah, that was Not um, that was bad too. That was like um, we ended up. I ended up that tied the game. Um, and then I ended up getting walked off later in that inning by a Conforto double. Yeah. So this um, is not a fun segment for you. This is doing? not yeah. what we should be doing. Yeah. Let me, do you guys want to talk about the World here. Series? 
<laughs> we're gonna end this on some uh, a high note for you because yeah. I know this is probably what you really are thinking about right now. Your 2020 simulated stats on Baseball yeah. Reference are legit, bro. Oh, years. sick! Yeah, yeah. So you're 13, 13 innings in. Um, you have a 2.08 ERA. Um, a, you have a strikeout per inning. Like you're you're doing it. Love it. What's my only whip? one walk? One. So. Oh, that's me. That's me. Yeah, you're in. That's yeah, yeah. me. I'm back, baby. <laughs> See, what they did was they saw how I pitched in the playoffs, and they yeah. were like, "That, that's a, he's back. He's healthy again. That's him. We're going to use that uh, to, you know, uh, predict. I love it. I'm going to take that into free agency after this year. Yeah, you're so. already at a .6 <laughs> war, so just, you know, multiply six, and you're going to have a big season. Oh, my gosh. That's I'm huge. taking that into free agency. I'm sitting, <laughs> sitting back here like this. This is great. Uh, Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, we get you off. Okay, and that's the real end of the interview. That was awesome. Uh, long time. We didn't get to talk. There's still more topics I want to talk to him about, so uh, hopefully we'll have him on again in the, in the future. I thought it was funny, Jake, that you opened up with that Arizona Fall League uh, thing, and from there we went right into him hitting and being a position player. Like We skipped the how's it going, how's quarantine, what was it like. Yeah. <laughs> we skipped all of that. I just went straight into it. Uh, he's, yeah, if you're if you were listening for that information, he's. I think he said he's in Florida and he's doing all right. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> we gave you the good stuff. All right, Trav, you gonna read that book now? Kind of. There's no way you are. I'm gonna try. It was really tough. Like it's really heavy, and I'm I'm. I like to read. I, I read before I go to sleep. It helps me sleep. Um, so I have a few books I'm reading right now. So I got to get done with those, but I'll give it another shot. Science fiction's tough, man. They do so much descriptions. Like Stephen, Stephen King, just so much descriptions. Like, I, I like give that. Me the story. Like, I'm into, give me the story. That's I what I feel get like. Into, yeah, I want to get into the backgrounds, but it's this one was tough for me. All right. But I'm going to give it another chance. Okay. All right, thank you guys very much. We'll be back on Wednesday with a little uh, three of us talking about whatever the, the news of the day is, of the week, the next new fake plan. See you there. Thank you for tuning in. Go tell Sean you loved him. Yeah, tweet, cool tweet at him. Ahead. You couldn't tweet at Lance Lynn, but tweet at Sean. Tell him thanks. Jesus. Is that a proof bobblehead? Yeah, may the fourth be with you, bro. Um, so Luke much Skywalker. in Minnesota. I'm just flexing right now. My bad. Luke, there he goes. Can you get in trouble for beating up somebody that's old? Yes. Yeah, yeah. <laughs>